lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. We are live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast with myself, Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email the show. That's steve at stevedace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace on our new MeWe page, which is the free speech alternative to Facebook, which is claiming a post I put up last night that touched on every single hot button issue currently happening. Received exactly 13 shares in 12 hours. 13 shares in 12 hours. What do you guys think? Legit? If it is, it's for all the wrong reasons, if you know what I'm saying, right? I don't know what legit means anymore. Amen to that. All right. But you can try liking us there. Who knows if you'll ever get a chance to again or uh, see any of our stuff. But for the time being, I guess I'll keep putting it up there. If if nothing else, I'll get some strange satisfaction of making some avocado, avocado toast eating an obsessed gend, non-gendered being that runs their algorithms, pissing him off to the point or it that they have to uh, hit the uh, dump switch on me again. If nothing else, I'll take some strange satisfaction in that, right? Just pestering them until the very last day that they throw me off their platform. Uh, what else? Check out our new YouTube channel. Given yesterday's announcement, we're probably not going to last uh, very long there either at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. All right, what else? Oh, it's just a matter of days away now. What are we, five days away until my new book, A Nefarious Carol, releases. You can pre-order your copy right now at amazon.com. It is the sequel novella to my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which we will be talking about at the bottom of the hour when we get into Theology Thursday. Got an exciting uh, phone call lined up later this week uh, because we're turning a nefarious plot into a movie next year. So I'm going to get an update from the uh, production team coming up here later this week on where things are at with the script and everything else. So I am obviously excited about that. So That's got to make a lot of things better. It it does. If your fallback position in life is... I'm making a movie about a book I wrote. You're doing okay. You know what I'm saying? There's a silver lining. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Michigan football is doing everything it can right now to wreck me on a permanent basis. But my fallback position is, eh, going to make a movie about a book I wrote. So I I think I'm okay. At this point, the way things are going, you're familiar because you've said it on the show with what happened when they made the... um, the, not not just the Omen, but the um, the Catholic movie, with The Exorcist, The Exorcist, and how many people yeah. were just utterly freaked out at yeah. a core level. Like, There's a documentary about yeah. what happened with the making of The Exorcist. As great as the movie is, the documentary yes. might actually be scarier. Yeah. Well, people coming out of this movie about your book, if they do it right, there might be some therapy in order. From what I've seen, and that we're, that's the goal. All right? <laughs> We are trying to scare the hell out of you, literally. The show okay? doesn't do it, then the movie sh- certainly will. Yes, yeah. and from what I've seen so far of the script that we're putting together, I, I'm, I'm, amen. I'm confident. You know what I'm saying? Like, because yeah. I got to figure I've got more of a stomach for boundary pushing than the average viewer, and so I, I'm, if I feel like my boundaries are going to get pushed, 
I'm, I'm satisfied. Yes. Then. You know what I'm saying? Yes. All right. So we'll get into Theology Thursday as we continue a look back at my previous book, A Nefarious Plot, at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but you can get the sequel book right now. It releases in five days, A Nefarious Carol at Amazon.com. You can get the audio version right now. It's already out, read by yours truly and my oldest daughter. Uh, it's out on Audible right now. Whether you have the app or you do that at Amazon, you can get the audio version today. All right, coming up on the show, I already mentioned Theology Thursday at the bottom of the hour. Uh, next hour, uh, our good friend Josh Hammer is going to join us, former clerk on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. He's now the op-ed page editor for Newsweek. We're going to look at what's going on with both the Pennsylvania and Texas lawsuits. Now, I believe uh, up to 18 states have joined the state of Texas uh, in its lawsuit seeking the Supreme Court to provide clarification on what is actually the election law of the United States. Do we know, or do you, do you just get to make it up uh, to get the outcome that you want? Oh, did I say that out loud? Yes, I did. And I will continue doing so. Uh, big tech censorship be damned. All right, so Josh Hammer will join us. And then we'll take a deep breath and we'll do three non-political questions. Aaron, you have been warned. Hopefully you have some ready. For what? There we go. Now, today is also a big day. There's a couple reasons today is a big day. One reason is, uh, I, do you like carrot cake? Sure. Uh, non sequitur question. It's I know. fine. Yeah. But to me, carrot cake is like now. Is it pecan or pecan pie? How do you pronounce it? Either way, it's good. Yeah. Uh, okay. It, it's the same in that it's really good or it's not. Like you ever had a piece of carrot cake and you're like, it's okay. See, I have not. I'm like either this carrot cake is phenomenal or should have gone with the trusty chocolate instead. All right. Well, I brought with me one of the brand new flavors from Built Bar today, and I'm going to be trying it here in a little bit. All right. It's a carrot cake and walnuts is a brand new flavor. Now, I'm a little bit nervous, all right, because carrot cake is something that you either score on. You don't get like an own goal or a deflected puck off a skate with carrot cake. I mean, you either deked a guy and went top shelf and it's a pretty play or you're like whiff. All right, so I'm going to try the brand new carrot cake with walnuts flavor from Built Bar here in just a little while. I'm a little nervous, but I probably shouldn't be because I've tried their other like 27 flavors and they've all been great. All right, so if you want the best protein bar you've ever had, up to 20 grams of protein in every bar, less than 200 calories in every bar, less than five grams of sugar in every bar as well, three net carbs in a typical bar, trust me. You've never had a protein bar this good. You haven't had some candy bars that are this good, and this is a lot better for you. Use my last name, Dace, as the promo code at BuiltBar.com. That's B-U-I-L-T. BuiltBar.com. Use my name, Dace, as the promo code. You're 20% off your first order. You will not go wrong. You're going to get addicted to these like I am. BuiltBar.com, promo code Dace, to get 20% off. So I'm going to try the new carrot cake flavor. That's one of the big things, big things going on today. The other big thing going on is all of the things going on that Aaron is about to tell you about and what happened while we were away. Brought to you by Where's Hunter? Hunter Biden, the son of Democrat something or another, Joe Biden, released a statement through the Biden-Harris transition team announcing he's under investigation by the federal government regarding his quote-unquote 
tax affairs. According to Politico and other outlets, the Justice Department's interest in Hunter Biden is going beyond just the aforementioned tax issues, as the feds are purportedly looking into foreign ties and money laundering with the younger Biden as well. So I guess Tony Bobolinsky wasn't making his up just days before the election after all. Let's go back to late October, shall we? NPR public editor tweets a statement from NPR's managing editor, Terrence Samuels, on why the network isn't covering the Hunter Biden laptop story. Quote, we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories, and we don't want to waste the listeners and readers' time on stories that are just pure distractions. Hunter Biden's laptop that whole thing is has been fizzling. It looks like it's tied to Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Of course, this was during the time Twitter placed an all-out ban on the link to the New York Post expose on Hunter Biden's business dealings with China. Do you think we ought to know more about Hunter Biden's laptop? We should note Hunter Biden isn't running for president. That argument has been debunked. Then there's this from media watchdog Arthur Schwartz, who tweets, quote, When Ken Vogel of the New York Times called Tony Bobolinsky, his focus was on discrediting the Biden-China docs and emails. He was disappointed when Bobolinsky told him the emails were authentic. Vogel chose not to report what he was told. I know this because I was listening in on the call, end quote. Questions of controversy continues today about Hunter Biden, your son's... Uh, there is no controversy about overseas my dealing. It's, it's all a lie. It's a flat lie because the president has nothing else to run on. CNN reporter Marshall Cohen tweets, U.S. authorities are investigating whether recently published emails that purport to detail Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings are connected to an ongoing Russian disinformation effort targeting Biden's presidential campaign. Two sources tell CNN. Watch for President Trump to go after former Vice President President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and unverified emails about his business dealings, a story that many intelligence experts say has all the hallmarks of a foreign interference campaign. Moving on, 18 is now the number of states who have joined the Texas lawsuit against Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia over alleged constitutional violations in how they handled their elections. An amicus brief or friend of the court brief was filed with the higher court, the Supreme Court, Earlier on Wednesday, the states of Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and West Virginia have all signed on to the brief that backs the Texas suit. Tech giant YouTube released a statement yesterday saying the platform will remove any content published that alleges widespread fraud or errors that changed the 2020 U.S. presidential election outcome. YouTube went on to say, You know, deep down, you deserve to be punished. In other big tech news, the U.S. federal government, along with 46 state attorneys general, sued Facebook yesterday, accusing the social media giant of using illegal tactics to maintain its dominance. The state's lawsuit, which was led by New York Attorney General Alicia James, alleges Facebook squashed potential rivals by buying up smaller competitors and closing off its platform to developers of apps it perceived as a threat. More on that PCR testing method. A study from Cambridge University last week showed 100% of those who tested positive using a PCR test were actually false positives when they were checked with a second type of test. PCR testing has not aged well. Speaking of things that didn't age well, here's Joe Biden's new coronavirus advisor, Dr. Michael Osterholm, on November 19th. 
We need FDR moments right now. We need somebody to say, this is what's happened. This is how bad it is. We're going to see hospitals collapsing in the next two to three weeks. Again, those comments were from November 19th. Today's date is December 10th. More on the mysterious disappearance of influenza. Researcher Kyle Lamb reports with data from the CDC's flu view that the percentage of positive flu tests this flu season so far, that's weeks 40 through 48 of the year, is at 0.15%. The five-year average for the same weeks is nearly 4%. According to a report from the UK Daily Mail, four trial volunteers who took Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine developed Bell's palsy. The side effect was revealed in a release of detailed data from the FDA ahead of a meeting today where regulators will vote on its approval. In case you had any doubts what the endgame for COVID tyranny is going to look like, Here's this story from NBC News just a few days ago. New health apps are springing to life. IBM and Clear, the tech company known for expediting security screenings at airports, are both creating new apps to take in concerts and live sports. So here's how it works. The app gives you a health pass to show before you go into big stadiums like this to streamline the process to make it safer and faster for you to get to your seat. It'll flash green if your health information meets requirements. For live events, Ticketmaster is exploring several options, including a smartphone verification system for vaccination status and negative tests. The Australian government has also said it may require proof of vaccination in the future for entry into the country. A glimpse into a vaccinated future and a new normal. And finally, this from the Babylon Bee. Biden to defeat skin cancer by ordering Americans to avoid all sunlight for 100 days. And that's what happened while we were away. I know I have said this quite often, or at least frequently, this year. But... It's true again. I have never seen a day in my career like today. And it is, for those of you on the East Coast, barely noon at the time we're doing this. If you're listening to the podcast later or watching this on demand later, I mean, it's, it's not even 12, 15 Eastern time yet. What... What is in the montage that Aaron just did is a a breathtaking teardown of a series of shibboleths of the damned. A a breath it it's 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 Samson tearing down the pillars to the fish demon Dagon in the dirt and then rising up to do it again and again and again. This is the season for miracles, right? As a counter movement to the worldview being depicted here, we don't have the means to do this. If we did, we wouldn't be having a hearing in Georgia right now where the Republican legislature is taking testimony on voter fraud and invited the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia to testify and put this all to bed, and he refused to show up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. We, we just did a show a few days ago where I asked you guys, what is the, I think it was in the overtime, what is the get out the vote message in Georgia? 
Our list of allies grows thin, Aragorn. Yeah, and, and, and we were talking about, so you got Mike Lee, let's sell out on immigration. You've got, um, and then you had David Perdue doing that joint television, one of the candidates doing the joint television appearance. Hey, I'm looking forward to making deals with President Biden I couldn't make with President Trump. And we're looking at each other like, that's your get out the vote message? Now you got John Cornyn and a bunch of people from Team GOP going over to CNN saying this Texas lawsuit's without merit. Trump should concede. I mean, do these people even like want to win? They won't even lie to you now. You know? I mean, I, I have no idea what kind of a get out the vote message that is unless they just don't want to win. It doesn't make any sense. It's like a lot of the forces that have been conspiring against righteousness in this country. It's like today, for whatever reason, on December 10th, they all just decided to out themselves and and just we're totally full of poop here. I mean, just we're, this is just all this is parcel tongue, man. We're, We're speaking with forked tongue. I mean, I go down the list of what is in his montage. Let's start with Hunter Biden. Aaron gave you some of the media outlets. Twitter, big tech, censoring, banning, shadow banning, shutting down accounts for sharing the story, shutting the New York Post account down for what, two or three weeks or whatever it was? It turns out he was being investigated for this exact story since 2018. Um, so th- this entire time, you could have continued to perpetuate Russian collusion hoaxes that were discredited by both the independent counsel and his report. When they were looking for this, they were looking to nail Trump and they couldn't find any evidence. You can still post about this stupid P tape whenever you want. But if you posted about a story from one of the nation's oldest newspapers founded by Alexander Hamilton himself. You were banned, even though the feds were investigating this at the time. In fact, they've been investigating it for a long time. Two years. Two years. So they set on the laptop... On the Ukrainian deal, the whole time Trump's getting investigated for alleged Ukrainian collusion, right? Yeah. They they sit on the laptop that includes at least some surface evidence that even if Trump is guilty of what you're claiming, that he called Ukraine up and said, I'm going to deny you funding unless you give me dirt on, on Joe and Hunter Biden. The feds sat on the laptop that proved there was reason to at least even ask that question, that there was dirt, right? They sat on that. We found that out. And now we're finding out that this entire time people are being censored and shut down before the election the feds knew about these allegations of Hunter Biden they had already been investigating them almost 2 years before the story what's going on i mean cambridge on the pcr testing I believe they're like the second or third highest rated university in the world. Pointing out, again, the way we're doing this testing is a scandemic. 
This is not true. Cambridge isn't Hillsdale, guys. Oxford, who did it last week? That's not liberty, guys. You couldn't, if you could be the most decorated faculty member at Liberty University. If you sent your resume to Oxford and previous in the previous work section, it and let you couldn't get you couldn't get hired to be professor of janitorial sciences at Oxford if the if it said previous employer Liberty University. Am I right? You're of course right. Yeah. What about Cambridge? What if you applied to Cambridge and you said, you know, previous employer, I I taught humanities um and at, at, at Hillsdale College. Getting hired at Cambridge, do you think? No. Hell no. But now Oxford and Cambridge both saying this is a scam. It's either really, really wrong and a whole bunch of people are really dumb or it's a scam. We don't know which it is, but this isn't science, what we're doing with this virus and the testing. It's not science. It's not science. It may be many things. Science it is not. We've been saying that since March, Steve. Michael Osterholm. I remember when I, when I told you guys initially... I don't buy the COVID hype. You're, you're telling me, this was like in February, early March, before I started digging into the data. And I'm like, I don't buy this hype. You're telling me the solutions are stay home f- from work if I'm sick and wash my hands a lot. That just sounds like every flu season, right? Yeah. And Anthony Fauci himself was out there comparing it to the flu in the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine on February the 28th, correct? Correct. Correct. So a guy did a, a, an hour and a half long interview on Joe Rogan's podcast and a whole bunch of you told me I needed to listen to this, that I'm probably wrong. Because this guy knows what he's talking about. Do you guys remember who that was, by the way? Yeah. Dr. Michael Osterholm. That's who it was. And I did. I, I listened to the entire thing. About a month later, Dr. Michael Osterholm wrote, I think it was in the Washington Post, that lockdowns are not realistic. You can't lock us down in order to stop a virus. At some point, we're going to have to learn to live with this. Figure it out. Now he's out there advocating for massive lockdowns. At first, he told the truth about masks. Then he didn't. And now... He promised us the hospitals would collapse in America in the next two weeks because of Thanksgiving. And they didn't. But that's the guy you all told me when I wasn't taking this seriously enough. That was the guy I had to go listen to on the Joe Rogan podcast. Do you remember this? Sure. Yeah, I did listen to the entire thing. It's that guy in the video. Going all Denethor. Run for your lives! Abandon Minas Tirith. Kyle Lamb, just hired by Governor Ron DeSantis, by the way. Pointing out that the flu has literally disappeared. Disappeared. Where did it go? Maybe it's just me, but in a year where things have sucked, I really think we should be going out of our way to congratulate ourselves more for curing the flu, right? I think we should be doing that a lot. I mean, we've obviously cured it. 
I can't think of any other reason. Can you think of any other reasons where the flu would just disappear? Can you think of any other? Get your flu shot, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I can. Pfizer deserves an attaboy, another flu shot manufacturers for curing this year's flu. Yeah. Just when we needed it. And now the reports on the Pfizer vaccine and Bell's palsy. By the way, I've had Bell's palsy. You know, every college fan base usually has like a beloved play-by-play guy that's kind of been there for years and is known because he visits all the fan club circuits and people love the guy, right? At Iowa State for many years, it was a guy named Pete Taylor. And he just up and died out of nowhere. Perfectly healthy guy. Just up and died, stroke dead out of nowhere. Uh, When I was a sports talk radio host, nobody saw it coming. No issues, just struck dead by a stroke. About a week later, I get up in the morning and I can't talk. I go into the bathroom in the, in the master bedroom and it looks like half of my face has collapsed. Now, you know what I'm thinking after what just happened to sure. Pete Taylor, right? Because what are, what are some of those the symptoms of typically? Right. Some stroke. kind of a stroke event, yeah. right? So he rushed me to the hospital and everything else. Thankfully, it was not a stroke. It was, it was Bell's palsy. It, by the way, there's really, you can, you can, you, from what I understand, you, you can't really cure it. There are antibiotics and stuff to treat the symptoms for it. And so nobody really knows what causes it, what makes it go away. Sometimes you may notice there are still days where, I mean, this happened in 2003 or four is when I got this. And so we're going on, what, 15, 16, 17 years later. There are still days I cannot fully enunciate on my right side. And sometimes you may notice that I have a hitch in my giddy-up sometimes when I have to pronounce certain words that require a heavy emphasis on the right side of my mouth. It comes from the fact I had an episode of Bell's Palsy. That stuff is no joke. That'll scare the crap out of you. It's probably just the price of freedom, Steve. You think Bell's palsy is the price of freedom? Yeah. I mean, the fact that this is showing up in um, the trials for the vaccine. By the way, do you know what often brings on Bell's palsy? No. Do you know, Aaron? Do you mm. know? It's something to do with, I don't know, respiratory viruses. It's a word that starts with the letter V. Mm. Vaccination. Viruses. Bell's palsy is usually associated with a form of a viral infection. That's why there's no, we don't, we have antibiotics for bacteria cures, mm-hmm. not for viruses, right? right? But you can treat the symptoms of a virus with some antibiotics. That's why we don't have a, you don't, if you get Bell's palsy, chances are you're not just going to get a, a script like you would for every time you get strep throat, you know what that one prescription mm-hmm. you have to get is, right? Okay. Or a sinusitis, which is an infection, right? Okay. Hmm. So they're doing rushed viral vaccination trials. And four people showed up with an affliction often associated with a viral infection. Hmm. The news today, 
And I don't know if you if you purposely put them in the order they're in, Aaron. But that montage could be titled "Let Those with Ears to Hear Let Them Hear." We don't we don't have as as Christians, or if you're not a Christian but you're a, you know a religious or Jewish or something else, and consider yourself some form of a conservative or a patriot. Whatever this this conglomeration of people that are in what's left of America, okay, we don't have the means to strip all these lies bare. We don't. We don't. We we try and we just get banned, right? We we don't. Right. Okay. I mean, and and then our biggest platform, Fox News, you have to you have to fight half of the shows on that channel. They're fighting you more than that. Half the shows on that channel are fighting you more than more than fighting the right. left America, right? I bring this up because. A power beyond us is what it would take. We, on our own, materialistically, as a movement, as a counter to the spirit of the age, we cannot accomplish what that with what this new cycle already has. I, I believe you're, there are forces beyond us made this happen and are trying to get a culture's attention. Because that, if you want to know where this is all ultimately going, if we don't start paying attention, it's the last story in Aaron's montage. You know, I've been joking recently about, hey, you can put that, hey, can you give me that uh, vaccination card? Can you make it a chip in the palm of my hand or my forehead? But laugh all you want. You know what you often hold in the palm of your hand? One of these. You know what I'm saying? And look how happy she was about it, She too. was gleeful. Yes. Gleeful. To have the control of the state right there in the palm of her hand. Them controlling her, not the other way around. That's where this is going. So tis the season for giving and Patriot Mobile wants to give back with a brand new Christmas promotion just for you until December the 19th. Get a Samsung A11 for yourself and someone close. That's two phones absolutely free or you can bring your own phone and make the switch and get a free month of service because with Patriot Mobile, you're going to get the same nationwide coverage because they use the same towers as everyone else. Plus, they have plans to fit any budget. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wire provider they, they will take a portion of your bill to do things like supply bibles for kids not help plan parenthood kill kids all right switching is easy just go to patriotmobile.com slash steve patriotmobile.com slash steve or if you want to do it old school you can call their u.s based customer service team at 972 patriot veterans first responders you save even more so make sure you check them out but you're gonna get the same service a lower price and they celebrate christmas too get free activation and a special gift when you use that offer code steve at patriotmobile.com slash steve all right let's get to theology thursday we continue to look back on my 2016 book a nefarious plot which is each week we discuss that it gets eerily and eerily more prescient right yeah and we're in the portion of the book now where lord nefarious he is the demon general from hell who has written the book describing uh how he has taken down america at the command of his lord uh the devil himself and how he did so and he's putting it all in writing in book form for us 
because our inability to understand it or to believe it is true is how he will convince his master, Satan, that his plan is 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 irrevocable. It's true. He's he's won. And they can then move on to the next stage of the master plan, which is what a nefarious carol is about. So as he lays out the pillars of his plot to take down America, this week, Todd, we're focusing on which factor? Decay. I'm glad you mentioned right off the bat that this is uh, irreversible. But remember, and we touched on this briefly, Steve, you wrote this book back in 26... It was published in March of 2016. It came out, so I wrote it in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote it then. Remember now it's 2020. And remember what Steve just said about Aaron's montage, okay? Because he starts off, uh, and it's not Steve, it's nefarious talking. Talking about the Soviet Union. And America, this is what is going to happen to you. Not a cautionary tale. You will go down like the Soviet Union. Now, we talk about it's, uh, it, once you re- me, uh, become uh, remotely adult in your thinking and learn any history whatsoever, we all, uh, the term the fall of Rome ultimately means that the greatest of empires, what happens? How does this happen? Well, but most of us uh, don't have a, an immediate, uh, we, we, we can't have an immediate memory of Rome, but we, uh, Steve and I, you know, we were learning to hide under your desk yep. in case the bomb comes. We know. I remember as a kid when they did the May Day parades yes. with the, under Brezhnev and stuff. As I mean, we would sit here like frightened as we watched these tanks that we later found out were basically glorified paper mache because the empire was right. crumbling. But over here, we were fed from our media like, "Hey, these are going to be marching down your street for trying to." That, if you elect that cowboy Reagan and and he has an arms race with them, their tanks are going to be rolling down your street one day, right? That, I mean, that's what we were told when I was a kid, right? So. In our in in our lifetime, in our childhood to young adulthood, we saw all of that fall. Now, some people want to say Soviet Union, communism, all that stuff. America, how do you make that connection? Well, nefarious is he says you are the Soviet Union. Why? Because the external trappings of the structure of your system still visibly appear to be there, but. When we peek at the man behind the curtain or we pop open the hood and we see what's inside, you can see that it's it's a farce. It's a charade. It's a paper mache. It, it's it's not it's not a real thing. And if 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 nefarious were here right now, he would point to those Texas that Texas lawsuit as an example of what I'm talking about. 18 states have now signed on to this suit, correct? It's 18. Aaron is the number? That is correct. All right. So we are approaching half of the states in this country are petitioning the U.S. Supreme Court to essentially hold a trial where they sit and preside over a trial while these states sue this other handful of states for refusing to uphold election law and are and, and that they're violating the 14th Amendment. We don't have equal protection under the law. You are you are gaming the system in, way, in ways to ha- harvest ballots that were not here. Yet, let's, can we be all, we're all going to be honest with each other, right? Yes. Okay. Motion. We would be mildly surprised, at least, if the Supreme Court agreed to hear or to hold this trial. True. 
second? Yeah, mildly, yeah. Okay. Motion number two. We would be roll over, uh, Lord, take me now, shocked if the Supreme Court heard the trial, listened to all of the evidence, and said, uh, we, we, this just wasn't a legitimate election. We have to overturn this. Yes. Yeah. Roll over in my future grave. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean by decay. Right there. That we know. We know. I mean, I, I was on the phone with, with somebody in the White House when I came in here today. You guys overheard some of the conversation, right? Yeah. We both know. We both said to each other on the phone. That the more states that join, unfortunately, the, the less likely... Because it becomes more and more obvious what, what happened here. And justice isn't on the menu, guys. It's, it's not. Now, I'm all for pushing that question because I, I want to make them do it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, we need to make them be honest. We need to, we need to make John Roberts court. The more and more, keep signing on, get more and more states. And then let's, let's have our people here, a Supreme Court, where six of the nine justices were, report, were appointed by a Republican president, and three appointed by the president who is the, def, who is the plaintiff in the case as we speak. Turn right around and then say, but we don't care. Yes, that would be disgusting. Yes, it would be discouraging. But we need to hear this so that we will honestly take a look at where we truly are. We're trusting in a system that does not exist. Instead, it exists. So you can't get immediate cert in the Pennsylvania case, but illegal aliens get immediate cert whenever they want. And they get every ruling ever that they want. The, 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 one of the greatest rants I've ever seen in a movie, Al Pacino as John Milton, the devil, in The Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves. The rant, you can find that scene on YouTube without going through all of the other stuff in the movie that has is, is certainly earned its R rating. So if you don't want to sit through that part, but just the, you, can, you can find the rant that Al Pacino goes on at the end of that movie as the devil. That movie is well over 20 years old. And everything it says is true. That I've just, I've turned all of your systems against you. That Pacino rant was one of the inspirations for me to write the book the way that I did. Where, where he takes on the tone of just being in your face and laying it all out there all the time. And all our institutions that we would trust, there is a constitution, it is a dead letter. If we're being honest, it doesn't matter. There is a Republican Party. In the last two weeks, they, they should be the opposition. In the last two weeks, Mike Lee has said, let's get some amnesty in there before, uh, you know, uh, before the Georgia runoff for some odd reason. Uh, let's, uh, you know, now let's, let's go to CNN and say uh, the Texas lawsuit's a farce, John Cornyn, and we should, uh, Trump should concede. I mean, let's have one of the candidates say, actually, I'm looking forward to cutting deals with Joe Biden when I get back into office. You're getting to see the institutions that we have entrusted are dead. Dead. White. Let me borrow an expression 
a wise man once used for such entities. Whitewashed tombs. But Nefarious is just pointing out, I'm the one that did the whitewashing. That's all. These are whitewashed tombs. And even if in the end, the court doesn't hear the Texas case or rules against it, we have come to the moment of truth. We now know where everybody stands once and for all. And the last shibboleth, vote Republican for good justices, right? That's our last remaining one. Let's just be brutally honest about that too, right? Right. That's pretty much most of us in this group, in, in this part of America. That's the last remaining shibboleth we have. Well, what happens when you put right on their doorstep more than one-third of the states of this country have said, hey, this was an election that at the very least begs some questions about the future integrity of the process. And they did all of this in order to elect an obvious dementia patient. It's, it's ironic. They're going after Dianne Feinstein this morning because they don't like the fact she said something nice about some Republican. And, and, and they're attacking Dianne Feinstein. One of the things they're saying is, well, she's been known to lose her train of thought. They're going after her for dementia. Well, that should probably qualify her to be their nominee next time, then I would guess. But that's what Nefarious is talking about. The institutions that you use that should be in place to defend you against the likes of Nefarious either no longer exist or the likes of Nefarious uses those institutions against you. Well, how did he happily get us to that point? Because this is a shorter segment than we usually do this in, Steve, you've got uh, about seven minutes, but this was an incredibly popular segment uh, when we did it originally, but we've never done it in the context of Lord Nefarious. Nefarious admits he accomplished this through the seven deadly worldviews. So let's start with one. You got about a minute to go through each one, but I think we'll have fun doing it. Number one, Gnosticism. It's It's the beginning of the question of did God really say? Is there really an ultimate truth that is self-evident that must be found and was and pre-exists us, or is is or or, or is truth subjective? Is is that is it true that God really said that, or do we really say that's what Gnosticism is about? Number two, legalism, and again, just to reset, these are not in random order. Steve, no, they're in an order of deconstruction. He explains this at length. Once, once you think, well, I don't know, did God really say? Well, then we all agree somebody has to have a say, right? So, if God's not going to have a say, guess who is going to have the say? We are. People are. That's what legalism is. Number three, dualism. Now that we have decided that we are the say and not God then we have say over what is good and what is evil we can uh we act like we get to choose them they are they are they and then we ultimately wield whether they are good or they are evil or not now these are not again objective forces but they're subjective they bow to our whim we choose them they don't choose us that's what we that's where we that's where we go into dualism the the classic angel and devil on your shoulder both tempting you and and which one will you choose or the light side or the dark side of the force right that's what i'm talking about there number four darwinism so we have now said god didn't have a say we've now made ourselves the ultimate say we've then said that we get to have a say in what is good and evil and who is which and who is not it only makes sense then that we just toss god out all together now all right we 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 reboot 
In the beginning was not the word. In the beginning, he didn't speak the earth into existence. We just now, have, we're going to retcon this entire thing called existence now. And we're going to start all over with, in the beginning was uh, nothing that meant nothing on a pale blue dot. And then just for no other reason became something when some proteins and some amino acids collided one day. And then billions of years later, after we were done being apes, we just randomly mutated into what the human beings you see with the two trillion cells today. Number five, utilitarianism. And since God doesn't exist and we've gone back to the beginning, then we have, now we need a moral ethic, right? So to each according to his abilities, for each according to his needs. The good of the many outweigh the good of the few. Whatever does the most common good, whatever uh, avoids pain um, and suffering is good. That's utilitarianism. Number six, syncretism. Then we have a disagreement. Now Now that we've made everything subjective, I've got my subjective truth, your subjective truth. How do we mold and meld these things so that we don't clash? We syncretize them into just one genetic philosophical booyah base. You throw it into a cauldron with some dash of newt and eye of bat, stir it together with some boiling water, regurgitate and pour it out and comes out comes a belief system that means absolutely nothing. A big soup of my truth. Yes, yes. And lastly, in number seven, Secular humanism. This is the final stage of devolution where you are now removed of all of your old magic, to borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis. All your old magic is gone. You're stripped of, to give a tip of the hat to my Catholic friend, your traditions are gone. Tradition is gone. History is gone. Legacy is gone. The old magic is gone. And, and now you're stripped bare of that so that you can be prepped and prepared for the new worldview, the new religion that you will believe instead of the old one. And that is where we are at right now. You are being, at the time I wrote this book, I think I, 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 I Nefarious said you were kind of at the latter stages of syncretism and heading into the final stage. I think we have devolved very fast and quickly into this final stage. You are being prepped now for the, once, once Western civilization is gone, once the Judeo-Christian ethic is banished, something will have to take its place. Nature abhors a vacuum. And it won't be just some meaningless subjectivism, your truth, my truth. No, no, no. It will be the next truth. And that's what's going on right now. Yes. That was a good lightning round. Not bad. Not bad at all. You hey. you wrote it. So so I I'm, I can kind of cheat a little bit. I know the material. <laughs> Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, this chapter, the decay that we, that we see, it, it's... It's in some ways like a frog in a boiling kettle, mm-hmm. though. Mm-hmm. Think about this. It, and I would encourage anybody to feedback, uh, find me. I've been trying to think of an event, just to relate this to current events. I've been trying to think of any world event, at least in modern, at the very least in modern history, that is like what we've seen this year, mm-hmm. where the reaction from all the world governments was pretty much in line with each other. Yeah, I, I can't babble. That's the there last time go. I can think of it. Yeah. Is that bad? I wouldn't call it good. What's good? Is it trans bad? Is it <laughs> trans good? We'll come back. Josh Hammer on the challenge from Texas to the election next.
Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. Check out our new MeWe page. Uh, that's Steve Dace over there as well. And then our sure-to-be-soon band YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, three non-political questions. This portion of the show brought to you by Home Title Lock. You do not want to get a crash course in home title theft the hard way. You may think this can never happen to you, but unfortunately, it's called home title theft. And what goes on here is cyber thieves know nowadays a lot of our home titles are kept online. So they forge your signature on a quit claim deed stating that you have sold your home to them so that they can then take out loans against your equity. Uh, and you often don't find about find out about it until the equity is gone and or late payment notices, uh, foreclosure notices begin to appear in the mail. Unfortunately, the vast majority of your mortgage lenders uh, your homeowner's insurances cannot protect you from this, but that's what Home Title Lock does. For pennies a day, they'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title. The moment they detect any tampering, they'll mobilize to shut it down. And in the unlikely event you become a victim of title theft while a member of Home Title Lock, they're going to spend up to a quarter of a million dollars in legal fees in order to rightfully restore your home's title to you. So go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you are already a victim at HomeTitleLock.com and then use the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Let's bring in good friend of the program, Josh Hammer, editor of the op-ed page over at Newsweek. Uh, but he also, in a past life, served as a clerk on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. It's good to have you with us, Josh. How are you? I'm doing just fine, Steve. It's always great to be with you. So, Josh, I, I, we wanted to get your take today on the two cases that we think are actually asking, or at least attempting to, and we'll probably get into some of whether the legal methodologies here, you agree with how they're asking them or not, and I don't know the answer, and I'm anxious to hear. But but from a from a fundamental standpoint, we've spent a lot of time these last 37 days since this election. Talking about a lot of things like the Dominion company flowchart, and you know, and by the way, I could completely believe that everything that's alleged about them is true, but I also know I'm not going to have time to unravel that and prove it between now and January the 20th, even if it is right. Okay, to me, we have some some questions that may we may not like the answers to, but the questions are simple: Who makes the election law in a state? Does the legislature make it? Does a court get to make it and then get to make it the day of the election or the days after the election? What's a vote? How do we verify who has voted and who has not? Um, these are really the fundamental questions. And then what happens if some states have a different standard for defining those questions in an era now where you get a mail-in vote and, and, and you know, p- carrier pigeon vote? Okay. And, and these are national offices. So one state says, hey, we're going to let anything that looks like a ballot count. So they're sending people to Washington, D.C. to rule the country on one standard of voting. Another state says, well, you know, we got to verify every signature. We want affidavits on every one of these. You know, you got to vote in person with a with a name, with an ID. What happens if different states then, then say we have different thresholds for counting a vote 
as, as when we send representatives to make national policy into Washington. Let's start there. Do you agree or disagree that it, on, on a fundamental level, and then we'll get into the methodologies of each case in a moment, but on a fundamental level, after 37 days, it appears these two cases are actually asking their germane questions. So the questions are germane, Steve. The question, of course, is whether this obvious Hail Mary pass with 10 seconds to go in the fourth quarter has prayer or not, right? Um, but it, what is so frustrating from a conservative constitutionalist perspective is that this was also readily foreseeable. Um, I, I, I had a column in late October, I think it came out on October 24th or October 25th, entitled How Contested Election. And it was talking about a case out of the Fourth Circuit and the election laws there. And we were going over this exact topic. I was citing the elections clause, which you just referred to in Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution, which says in unambiguous, clear language that the time, place, and manners of election shall be determined by the state legislatures, not by, not, not by state bureaucrats, not by the governor, not by state courts, not by federal courts, by the state legislature. And in reality, the only legal question that matters for judicial review purposes as to an election law that has been changed in the middle of an election, as we saw so often this year during this pandemic, the only question that matters is, was the change in election law, in election law done by the state legislature in accordance with Article 1, Section 4, or was it not? Now, the, court, the Supreme Court at the time had the, had the opportunity to weigh in on this, and they opted not to do so. It's kind of, this, uh, it's kind of taking judicial deference, judicial restraint to its logical conclusion, Perhaps a discussion for another day. I have objections to that. But what what what, what you mean by that? I hear to translate that if I could for my audience and and sure. normal people. Ease when leftists want to break the Constitution uh, in in order, uh, the the courts will spring into action. When we preemptively ask them to protect the Constitution, suddenly we have this thing called judicial deference. That that's am I translating this correctly? What you what you were just saying. Totally. Of course okay. you are. No, 100%. Conservatives, legal conservatives, judicial conservatives, not everyone subscribes to this, but this kind of old school method of hardcore judicial restraint, judicial minimalism, Chief Justice Roberts, to an extent, kind of encapsulates and embodies this. Um, it, what, it often, what it often amounts to, Steve, you and I both know, which is tying one hand behind your back. Right. I mean, what it, what it amounts to in practice is the left wins, the right loses. Right. That is that is that's oftentimes and that's what right. you're saying. That's totally correct. Yep. So, look, the question is, like, does this have a chance in hell at this point? Obviously, it, it, it's it's slim. It's very, very slim. But the, the, the legal questions that are being raised here, and we're going to get into that, I know, are not silly. They are not fatuous. They are definitely germane and relevant. So where are we at now? What are the what's the germane question with the Pennsylvania case? The court denied emergency relief, right? But the case is actually still pending is my understanding. Is that correct? And then secondly, what's the chief legal question the Pennsylvania case is trying to prompt? Right. So, so, so you are correct. Um, it technically is still pending. Supreme Court procedure is fairly arcane and complex, but they, the court has not adamantly, like outright at this moment, re- totally unambiguously refused to hear it. The, the question here uh, mostly pertains to uh, the, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's very late in the game decision to accept mail-in ballots after after election day. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that, that gets back to what, we, to what we were just talking about. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court, in effectively changing Pennsylvania election law, 
is not the state legislature. So they are acting in direct contravention of Article One, Section Four of the Constitution, which had which delegates the plenary power to change election law to the state legislature. So this is a, this, this is what Ted Cruz has been tweeting a lot about, and I applaud him for doing so. This is a it, it struck me at the time as a black letter, clear cut violation of the Constitution by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. We had a very similar situation in North Carolina, which is what I was just talking about a few minutes ago. So the court really ought to address this. Now, the current Texas suit kind of uh, has some has some different claims as well. There's an equal protection clause claim thrown in there, citing Bush versus Gore. Uh, but the really the crux of the issue, and again, and maybe it's just too late, this really should have been dealt with months ago. The crux of the issue is who, according to the Constitution, is sovereign and who is delegated with the authority to enact and modify election law. And the answer is unambiguously clear. It is the state legislatures and no one else, period. If that's the case, then how what should our, how should our audience read that the court refused to give uh, emergency cert to the state of Pennsylvania when the opening weekend of this, Justice Alito, himself a Pennsylvania uh, native, uh, immersed himself into this controversy by issuing an order demanding that the ballots in question with this Supreme Court ruling be separated from the count and essentially quarantined while the vote count was still well, uh, well going on. And then to not turn around and say, okay, let's hear this. How do you reconcile if you're just an average person at home and all you want to know, Josh, you know, I think most people in our audience, probably 90 some odd percent are somewhere between um, I hate it that Trump lost. I just need to know it was legitimate or I don't think it was legitimate. Right. All right. And and this is a pretty large audience we got here on the blaze. And I'm guessing that's probably the case over on Fox and probably the case over on Daily Wire and lots of other places that have pretty big audiences, too. Right. That's a lot of Americans. So then why would the court initially say, all right, we're going to preemptively we want those things set aside. Anticipating, I'm guessing, we're going to have to adjudicate this later. And then when you're asked to adjudicate it later, you, you, you hit the pause button and don't. How do you, can you reconcile that to the average American that's just watching and listening to us right now? Right. So I, I, I think the median American should, should come away from this having fundamental questions about how much good the legal conservative movement and conservative justices are actually doing for us, of course. And this gets to a much broader discussion, one that I'm deeply immersed in that we've talked on in previous segments. I'm sure we'll talk on in future segments. It's a little bizarre, I think, and people are, are, are proper to view it as bizarre. Now, here's the thing, though. There are some other countervailing factors here. You know, just as I was ready to come on the air with you, Steve, I was looking at a Twitter thread that uh, I think our mutual friend Chip Roy put out mm-hmm. explaining explaining why he would not sign on to an amicus brief with, with respect to the current Texas uh, lawsuit. And I, Chip does make a very valid point. Chip, Chip is making the point here that it, according to the Constitution, is it is each state legislature who determines its own election laws. So the issue here is is one what lawyers call standing. Does the state of Texas have the standing? Can it show an actual legal injury or legal harm that it has been negatively affected by another state's internal procedures? So the legal questions here with respect to standing. Um, are, are admittedly a little thorny. Now, if we want, really want to get in the weeds, there is a very broad latitude for standing in current Supreme Court precedent. There's a 2007 case called Massachusetts versus EPA, 
where Massachusetts was given standing to essentially try to get the Bush administration's EPA to enforce greenhouse gas regulation due to receding coastal uh, like ocean wave lines. I, I kid you not. That is literally Supreme Court precedent. So if we want to go based on that precedent for quote unquote standing. I think Texas is in pretty good shape. But I'm just trying to get the point across here that there are some legal intricacies. I don't want to make it seem like it's that overly simplistic. But yes, what you're describing is a little weird. Alito did basically say, separate these ballots. We're probably going to look at them at a later time. And then to kind of come back and say, oh, well, you know, uh, you know it, it does, it, it should strike people as a little weird. And then, of course, some people now are talking about that there's this alleged safe harbor because December 8th is allegedly the last date, the last date under statutory law to kind of uh, so validate that's the electoral. So there's a, st- we, we're going to acknowledge what the exact law is for the safe harbor for the challenging of the election but when the election itself is going on hell i mean new york over the weekend we found 52 more votes claudia tenney sucks to be you right so so th- this goes to what we started off with whenever they want to destroy the system they get any latitude they want whenever we try to undo that or preemptively stop them from doing it suddenly now there is judicial restraint that that was that was what was the point of Alito then preemptively putting an injunction against those votes to be set aside if they weren't then going to adjudicate this later on? That, that doesn't make any sense at all, Josh. Yeah, it doesn't, right? And uh, you need four votes on the, if the rule of four, they call it, you need four votes to grant cert in a case. Uh, you have to assume that Alito did vote. Um, you know, uh, you have to assume, you know, Clarence Thomas did too. So uh, someone squished out, okay? That's obviously what happened here. Uh, and, you know, I'm not I, 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 I'm sure Roberts obviously was not a vote. So then you can kind of do your own calculation as to who among like, uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Kavanaugh, et cetera, who is not going, going to grant cert here. Um, but, yeah, it, it is definitely weird. And it's very frustrating. If we can kind of just talk a little bit more about like the politics here, not getting into like the Supreme Court nitty ditty legal nerd details. The problem here, Steve, is that many conservatives and I am certainly among them have serious doubts and reservations about the various integrity of this election. I, t- I, I talked to like very intelligent conservatives. I, I, had a, I was talking with a former Supreme Court clerk the other night, and he was telling me that he is beyond convinced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this election was stolen. He used the word stolen. He said, and you know what? I don't even necessarily disagree with that. I, 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 the way that they were... Yeah, the, the, the way that they were changing election law, midstream, uh, all the mail and ballots, it's crazy. Republicans were totally caught off guard. They failed to forfend it. And it, that's, a, again, a conversation for, for another day. But the point I'm trying to make here, Steve, in our closing time here, is that by the court failing to weigh in on this case, if they do ultimately fail to weigh in on this case, these doubts and frustrations are going to linger. For conservatives like you and that's, I and that's all the— agreed. I, I, I don't want to do this because he's one of my best friends. Okay, and he was just on our show the other day. Okay, and and when him and I ha- when he was on the show, they had just released this lawsuit, and he didn't have time to study this. Okay, so um, I have an I mean, he's one of my best friends, and it's the most Chip Roy thing ever to when he disagrees with you, transparently put it out there. Why when he doesn't even have to? Like he could just kept his mouth shut, and nobody would have ever known, right? But it's the most Chip Roy. That's why I love him. It's the most Chip Roy thing ever to put out his disagreement out there and take scrutiny for it and fire for it when he didn't even have to do that, right? But when I read through his thread during the break before we brought you on, he is arguing, ultimately, a premise of an America that doesn't exist. Here, here's the reality, Josh. We got one last thing here. 
holding this thing called America together. One last thing. And it's our elect- it's the election system. It's what our founders gave us to fight civil war with one another so we wouldn't do it in the streets. Where we go, the casualties are ideas and politicians and, and, and policies so that they're not homes and, and villages and cities. We do it here. And then, and then it's over. And there's a defined start, a defined winner, and then a defined end. And you may be really pissed that your side lost, and you may think your views are superior, but ultimately you know there's another election in two, four, or six years. And so you are incentivized to simmer down, back down and return to some form of normalcy and get on with your life and not become obsessed with this to the point then we start killing each other. If you take that away, Josh, if you take that away, there's nothing left. And you're now telling the people that own all the guns, you can't get standing. You, you win elections, we just overrule everything your politicians do. If, you, and if we don't want your politicians to win, we just let them change election laws whenever we want. Illegal aliens get standing whenever they want. You can't. Sooner or later, the people with the guns are going to say, F this noise, then I guess I got the message. Loud and clear. Kick the tires, lights the fires, let's go, right? I would prefer that to not occur. And, and, I, and, and in my view... The position that Chip articulates, and we'll put him back on and I'll have this argument with him on the air, but the position he articulates presumes we're not this close to that. See, I think we are, Josh. I think we are. And I don't think we've got time to ponder what precedent this will set 30 or 40 years later. We got 10 minutes left in this thing, man. You mentioned a Hail Mary pass. Completely agree. Like, I've got some reservations about the Convention of States. I studied everything the late Phyllis Schlafly said about it and originally kind of bought into, I had some of her reservations. And then I saw, then, but then we got to the end of the game, Josh. Like, I wouldn't tell my team, throw a Hail Mary pass when you're down by two or three touchdowns at halftime. Would you? No. That's a high risk, low reward play, right? But if the game is at the end, do you tell your team, all right, man, we got, we got it. let's get on a 10-play drive here. Uh, coach, there's 10 seconds left in the game. We're out of timeouts. We need a Hail Mary pass right here. And, it, you know, there was a poll last week, Josh, that showed 75% of, the, of Georgia Republicans think that that election was won by fraud that would have uh, overturned the result. Allow that sentiment to, see, to sink in. We already got one side that made Stacey Abrams a fake celebrity. Now the other side is catching ballot dumps on camera. If we no longer trust the process by which we go to war with ourselves, then we're just going to go to war with ourselves. That's my concern, Josh. Steve, I literally could not have said it any better than that. Um, what you're speaking of here is actually a microcosm of a broader shift in my general political thought over the past three, four years, I guess, call it. When I was kind of, I, I'm only 31 years old, to be clear, but when I, when I was like really first kind of coming up, like reading all my conservative books in college and after college, law school, et cetera, I really thought of myself as being dedicated to principle above all else. Um, and, you know, in the 2016 election, we kind of saw this in the primary. Some people were making fun of some conservatives for saying, oh, my principles or whatever. But you know what, Steve, um, as I've gotten older and I see just how close to the brink we are, yeah. and I completely agree with you, we are really close. You know, my friends at the American Mind, the online publication in the Claremont Institute, did a whole kind of recent symposium about whether America is coming up to an outright, uh, an amical divorce, you know, as our friend Jesse Kelly would call it, I mm-hmm. guess. So th- these conversations are really happening. And Dude, Rush Limbaugh really- was having it yesterday, Josh. 
Rush was. Even know that, but he had this conversation wow, yesterday. Wow. Well, there you go. I, he used I, the I word secession that. yesterday, Rush did, Josh. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, look, I mean, Steve, that literally just makes my point for me. I mean, if Rush Limbaugh is talking about this on the air, then, you know, citing like a XYZ constitutional case, trying to like claim like the principled, the moral high ground, we can't invoke this precedent for the sake of future precedent. Hey, come on. Let, let, let us stick to the here and now. And, you know, one of the classical virtues is actually prudence. And prudence is kind of, to an extent, almost the opposite of principle. You basically, to, to, be, to be prudential, you, have, you start from a place of principle, but then you can modify it for the present application. And I think that is what you have to do he, here as far as the necessary, I view, role of the Supreme Court as hearing this case just to mollify, if nothing else, the tens of millions of voters like you and I, the gun owners out there, the House of Worship attendees, the people that this election was, in fact, maybe slightly less rigged, slightly less fraudulent, mm -hmm. and or slightly less than we might otherwise think. If we are trying to stave off the worst case scenario, the, a repeat of 160 years ago in Charleston, South Carolina, etc., that would be a prudent thing for the court to do well we have a situation too where this is why we were given an amendment process you know um i mean the first thing i love the constitution but the first thing the founders did if they ratified it is begin amending it we get how we got the bill of rights okay i mean they they started a it, it this isn't this isn't moses coming off a mountain all right this isn't this isn't jesus off a, off a boat uh you know uh in 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 in, in with with a with a re, with a you know revelation it, it's a human document it's a great one. It's one of the greatest of history, but it's it's human. That's why we need an amendment process. Humans change. Circumstances change. We have a situation right now where some states are saying, we're going to let you vote without photo, photo ID. We're going to let you vote without authenticating who you are. We're going to let you vote by mail without authenticating the signature, any kind of affidavit that you are who you say you are. We're going to just let you vote, vote, vote. Hey, hey there's a double vote. We're just going to assume how you meant. We're, we're not going to adjudicate any of these issues. Other states are like, we don't let you vote that way. Why can't the argument actually be legally made, at, at which Texas attempts to do, from, 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 from what I've read from the 14th Amendment perspective, you are diluting the votes in our states. You are, you are, you're not playing by, you're not, I agree with the argument, if, if, if we all knew what the voting system was, all 50 states have to vote in person or with a photo ID. If you cannot vote in person, you may vote absentee or by mail, but then that needs to be that needs to accompany a sworn affidavit that later on, if we find you were not the one that signed off on this, that's punishable uh, by, you know, in, in a court of law, something like that. If, if, if we all had a uniform voting process, then hell no, I don't want the Supreme Court to step in and decide what is a vote and what is not. You know what I'm saying, Josh? We don't have that, Josh. We have we, we have some states that best case scenario don't know have have a handful of counties that don't know how to hell to use the post service and and what how to post should stamp a ballot on time and and what the actual election day is best case scenario five counties in the states that joe biden just happened to need to win are full of such mind numb nimrods they don't know when election day is or how to mail a ballot in how to mail something properly worst case scenario they just harvested ballots either way doesn't that have the effect of diluting the the the, the votes in these other states for national offices why can't you make that case you're essentially nullifying our election. 
Right, it does. And that is probably Texas's best argument for standing in this case, for sure. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, under the Massachusetts versus EPA precedent, which we cited earlier, it's not at all unclear to me that they lack standing. I, I think under that case, they probably do have standing, actually. Uh, again, whether they have standing under uh, an originalist conception of Article 3 is, is another question. But I guess, you know, what, Steve, what you and I are saying is that at this stage of the game, this late in the fourth quarter, to take kind of the hardest line, most principled view possible, that it, in this particular situation, Texas lacks standing under an originalist conception of an Article 3 injury or harm, and therefore the case cannot proceed. Um, as you said, that's just not the country we're living in anymore. And like, again, we can like bewail that all day long. We can talk about Woodrow Wilson and all the harm he did in the past hundred years of progressive governance, the bipartisan unibrow party, as Daniel Horowitz calls it. This is, I agree with all of this, but in the here and now, we are trying to stave off the worst possible circumstance imaginable. Our key institutions, the institutions that are supposed to promote integrity, which by the way, is ostensibly allegedly what Chief Justice Roberts cares about. Mm -hmm. If you listen to Chief Justice Roberts' law clerks, what he's uh, allegedly concerned by above all else is not the text, the original meaning, or anything like that. He cares about the public image of the court, the so-called institutional integrity of the court. Now, the irony of John Roberts is that he uses that logic to so often arrive at the complete opposite of what would bolster <laughs> the integrity. He, right. <laughs> but here, the best thing the court could do for its own integrity and the integrity of this country as a unified body politic of the we the people which the Constitution's preamble so elegantly speaks would be to hear this case and to do something to assuage the very real, very legitimate doubts of good-hearted, patriotic, gun-toting religious citizens across the country who have serious reservations about this election. It's very well said, my friend. Thank you very much for joining us. Good to see you as, already, as always. All right, take care. You got it. Josh Hammer, former clerk on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, now the op-ed page editor over at Newsweek. Uh, you guys have um, any thoughts on that on that conversation? What really stuck out to me is when he, when he was talking about I'm 31 years old and his metamorphosis over the last three or four years about being a a person of principle and how principle he, above 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 all, all else, else yeah. yes, and how he realized uh, to some extent that that was an Achilles heel, that that was purposefully being used against them because the notion of principle for so long has been so watered down. You, I, that, therefore, you, if, because you're so hyper-principled now, you can't actually act on what you believe. You have no. to, you just have to stay in your principled box hey, is what you have you, to you do. You can think you're conservative all you want, but when you're surrounded by severe conservatives like Mitt Romney, it, right. it's it's a dead letter. You want to talk, you know, dead naming and uh, Ellen Page? It, Josh is saying it's it's the same thing. Where What weight does that word have? Which is not to say become unprincipled. It, it, it's to no understand way, shape, that it, or form. It, it's to, it, it's when Jesus says to the Pharisees, you know, yes, tithe on every ounce yes. of dill, cumin, spice. Yet you reject mercy. You reject forgiveness. You should have followed the letter of the law without which. And he said those things are the, those latter things are the spirit of the law. He doesn't condemn them for following the letter of the law, but he condemns them for doing so at the expense of the spirit of the law. The point of our Constitution. What are the first words of the Constitution? And again, this is what I would say to my friend Chip if you were here. The first words of the Constitution are what? We the people in order to do what? In order to form a more perfect union. Therefore, the rest of the words that follow suit in that document 
are to serve that mission statement, correct? Yeah. The point of the rest of the document is to form a more perfect union. 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 This is dissolving our union. The first principle of the Constitution is to form a union. And then it spells out what needs to happen for that union to stay together. The very first principle of the Constitution is being violated by these states. They are dissolving our union. They're attacking the integrity of our union. Whatever, therefore, whatever precedents or codicils or clauses or amendments may, be, may come into conflict with the remedy at that point are irrelevant. That's why Lincoln went to war. He yes. told them that. Yeah, no, you don't get to do that. You're dissolving the union here. Those other things are those other things come into play when we want to remain a union. You are dissolving the union. The very first mission statement of the Constitution, I believe, Aaron, is at stake here. Yeah, and if you want another football analogy, you you gave out one there at the very beginning, or maybe it was Josh. This is a Hail Mary pass with 10 seconds left in the game. Well, the game has been played with the other team saying, okay, you're not allowed to tackle. You're not allowed to make forward passes. Mm -hmm. And guys on your own team are saying, "Uh, okay, okay, and calling you an idiot for not wanting to play by the other team's rules. That's the game we're trying to win. You tell me if it's going to be successful. It might, but you've you've already set yourself, we've already set ourselves up for failure. Three non-political questions are next. You know, with travel, what it is, you may not get to get home to see mom, grandma for Christmas this year, some other loved ones, but you can still put a mile, a smile on their face with Bloomsy Box. They are simply better blooms. Now it's spelled bloom. Get it? Bloom. Flowers. Haha. Uh-huh. Uh, add the S-Y. So Bloomsy Box. Uh, they're simply better flowers. Had these at our house for my wife and uh, got them like three weeks ago. They just actually began to fade a couple of days ago. Beautiful arrangements that are all put together right there, uh, handpicked at a at a farm. Uh, they've got these across the country, and they're delivered straight to your door so that these are fresher flowers, and that means that they're going to stay fresh once delivered even longer. And the prices are already incredible, uh, but right now with their sale, you're going to save an extra 25% off for Christmas. That's no hidden fees, no endless upsells. You can just make this a one-time purchase for this Christmas with the uniqueness of 2020, these unprecedented times. Bing. Yep. Uh, the sale ends soon. So make sure you take advantage of it right now from Bloomsy Box. 25% off. If you hurry over to bloomsybox.com, bloomsybox.com, enter in the promo code Steve. That's the promo code Steve for 25% off at Bloomsy, B L O O M S Y. 25% off with the promo code Steve at bloomsybox.com. All right, let's get to three non political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. Yes, we need a little break from the decline and fall of 
America and Western civilization. It's three non-political questions. Question number one. If you had a choice of these activities, these three activities being mandated by the government, which one would you choose? A. Mandated Christmas lights on your house, putting those up every year. B. Mandated caroling. Or C. Mandated Christmas candy making or baking. And nobody gets to take, I don't believe in mandates. All right. Just for the fun of it, we'll play along. Yes. Okay. I think I do the Christmas caroling. Used to do that. We used to go caroling and stuff when I was a kid. Groups would do that and stuff around the neighborhood and we'd go and do that and always looked forward to it. Always had a ton of fun with it. And, you know, we have lived in our home now. It's been 14 and a half years. And I'm often just so busy with my job and everything else. And then the time that I am at home, I kind of, you know, America first is getting uh, thrown around a lot these days, right? I'm kind of days first. (laughs) I mean, there's so much time I have to spend to do all the things I have to do that when I am at home and and those things are done, I'm so fixated on pouring that time back into my, my kids and my family, you know? I don't really know jack squat about most of my neighbors. I just... I just don't. I just don't have time to get out that very often. I just, I just don't. And this, I think, would have a ancillary benefit of maybe providing a device and a mechanism to get off your duff and, you know, engage the people around you a little bit more often, you know? So, uh, and plus, I'm a, just a massive fan of Christmas music. Like, I love Christmas music. So, that would check a few different boxes for me. So, I'm going to go with the caroling. The, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Mandated Christmas lights because it would force a very effeminate male class to get on a ladder <laughs> and get on a roof and just do some marginal dude things. And it might prime the pump a little bit. Todd is so broken. He just wants guys to get on a ladder. That that would that would be good. And, I saw and probably several of them to fall on it. Fall, I would imagine, yeah. at the rate he's going. That'd be yes. fine. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, it would be a mandated um, Christmas candy making. Christmas candy making. It seems like, I, I don't know if it's a tradition at y'all's house, but man, like every single Christmas, my mom would just like make a little bit of everything. And sometimes, depending on how many people were there, yeah. a lot of bit of everything as far as Christmas cookies. Yeah. I mean, we'd make homemade caramel, My mom, you know, did chocolate it. My mom dipped, is a good baker. She and, did it too. You know, yeah. um, just uh, almond bark on all the things. Almond bark on all the things. I actually used to eat uh, almond bark straight. But My mom makes some phenomenal fudge. It's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. Question number two. Who's on your Mount Rushmore of musical acts known for their Christmas music. They don't have to be solely known for their Christmas music, but known for their Christmas music. Um, Mariah Carey. You guys know I love me some Mariah. And I, I all I want for Christmas isn't that good to go number one for the second time this year. Didn't it go number one on the Billboard chart in July for Christmas in July? 
And I believe yeah, it's I approaching number one that. on the charts. It, well, it's iTunes now, right? Not Billboard. Sorry, yeah. I'm dating myself. But I think I read the other day it's going to go number one again. I mean, her entire Christmas album is phenomenal. I mean, her rendition of Oh Holy Night is incredible. Um, Anne Murray. Uh, that was my mom's favorite Christmas album when I was growing up was Anne Murray's Christmas album. And I mean, I I spent hours as a child sitting in front of the tree with that record playing, you know, uh, her rendition of silver bells is phenomenal in that, on that album, maybe the most underrated Christmas take Carol. Cause it's rarely been done. Well is go telling on the mountain. Okay. It's, it might be my most underrated Christmas song. Cause it's just rarely been done well. But, um, the rendition that she does on that album is really good. So I would put Anne Murray there cause it has some nostalgia for me as well. Just reminds me of my childhood. Um, I'm going to put, uh, Chris Tomlin, the contemporary Christian music singer of some renown. I'm going to put his Christmas album is insanely good. I mean, it's just, dude, it's just like angels helped him write some of this stuff. I mean, the song um, uh, Hallowed Manger Ground by Chris Tomlin, I think, is the best Christmas song that's been written in, in, I mean, decades. I mean, that song is just, it'll send a chill down your spine. But then his take on some of the classics as well. So I put him on there. And then I'm trying to think of other Christmas albums that I loved a lot or know of that are unique for Christmas music. Um, so I've got Mariah, I've got Anne Murray, I've got Chris Tomlin, and um, let me think about the fourth. I'll let you go for a bit. Well, two classics, uh, Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole have both got to be on there. You, uh, you know what? You're, Bing Crosby is an obvious one. That's a, I'm a moron. So that's my fourth one. Bing has to be on there. Yeah. Although I got to tell you, man, I love... I like Dean Martin a lot. Always have. I love his Christmas stuff too, but you got to have Bing on there. I'm with you on that. So Bing is the fourth one. Contemporary. There's this uh, guitarist. I've talked about him. It's been a long time. Trace Bundy. He does an acoustic version of O Come O Come Emmanuel with a, a guy named Josh Garrell singing. It's just out of control. You got to listen to it. I'll look it up on YouTube. And then it, uh, an, Ode to uh, my wife and a uh, tradition she established. John Denver and the Muppets Christmas. <laughs> it's played nice. on loop. Nice. All December in my house. You know who I almost put on my list too, and I can't believe I forgot about being. I, I mentioned Dean Martin. So I'm, he gets an honorable mention as Dean Martin does. But I got to give an honorable mention Celine Dion. Oh, yeah. That's Her a good one. version of Oh uh, Come All Ye Faithful is just. Man, it, it, it's soul-stirring is how good it is. So, I, honorable mention to her. For me, it's the Rat Pack. So, that's kind of how I get around um, that's some of the other names there. I just group them because they did have an album. Or So, you're was, putting Sinatra and Dean Martin and th- them yeah. together as a, mm-hmm. as a group. Okay. Yeah, the Rat Pack. I mean, honestly, if all you could listen to, if that was the only Christmas music that existed, at least in the stores and things like that, 
it would still be a good Christmas. Yeah, uh, that's a good sure. play. Yeah, I agree. So Rat Pack, Mannheim Steamrollers, got to be on there. That was my favorite. Uh, but see, favorite. I only know them for Christmas music, and it, you said for other music. Oh, you, it doesn't have to be only for Christmas music okay. is what I meant. Yeah, because right, yeah, yeah. I only know them about Christmas. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Mannheim Steamroller grew up on that stuff. Um, for modern or more contemporary, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant in concert together. And I think they have some live CDs. So I'm, yeah, Amy Grant's I'm, original Christmas album that with her version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing and uh, um, Angels We Have Heard on High. Yeah. That's an incredible Just, album. Yeah. There was a there, there was a few years there. I don't know if they're still doing it. Obviously not this year, but um, there's a few years there where they would they would have uh, uh, tours around the mostly the Midwest. I went to. I went to probably three or four of their concerts all around the Midwest uh, when they were doing that tour. Just phenomenal. They've got a song that they do together all as well. Just make the hair on your uh, on your back uh, stand up, um, on your neck or back stand up. Who knows? Uh, and then the final artist uh, that I have is escaping me right now. Darn it! Because I did all of this from uh, from uh, memory. Uh, we'll j- oh uh, my uh, pentatonics. Pentatonix is the other one. They have some really cool Christmas stuff too. They do an interesting version of like Hark the Herald Angels Sing yeah. and stuff like that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, final question. If you could have dinner with any living person who resides outside the US right now, who would you choose? And go into detail why. Donald Trump. Lives outside, outside the, the US. US. Oh, outside the US. Okay. I was already preparing an answer. Um outside the US. Living person. You want to take this one first? Because you know me, I pay so little attention to anything outside the U.S. Yes, as the I ugly do. American. All right. I do. All right. I've, I have my answer. All right. Boris Johnson. I was thinking about that. I, I mean, I, I literally, are you mentally ill? Like, I, I are you of sound mind and body? Um, I, I mean, uh, did, did you fall on your head? Uh, do you have Bell's palsy? I, I mean, I, I just... Were you one of the vaccine trial candidates? Are you I mean, the long-term effects of COVID nineteen that they warned us about? Yeah, I, I just, I don't even know what to, to, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's just, I can't even analyze it. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's just, and and <laughs> I am cheering on left wing Oxford and Cambridge against Prime Minister Brexit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what? It's a psychosis. It's it, it. Do you have Mike DeWine disease? I mean, what what is your issue with this? I mean, the 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 lockdowns and BB Netanyahu is a close second, by the way. Although there's a part of me, and I've talked to a few people that know the situation over there in Israel, that think a lot of these lockdowns were specifically timed to help BB Netanyahu get through some difficult political situations he had this year. Um, but Boris Johnson, man, how do you go from? I'm Prime Minister Brexit last year to Denethor. Run for your lives! How did how does that occur? I need I need to know that. All right, I need to know what what has transpired with that individual. So that would be my call, Boris Johnson. Pretty much for the same reasons, I would talk to the Pope. That's a good decision too. It's gonna it would hurt. See, I, heard I, a lot. I, I can envision myself being exceedingly frustrated with that conversation, though. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I know I would. Yeah. But I I have to have the same conversation. I want to know, like, what what threads are you drawing on that have gotten you to this place? Because it says disapp- the, the church 
as a whole and its voice as a light in the darkness in 2020 on this virus, it's it's just been I know. appalling. I know. Appalling. I know. We, we, we want to talk about statesmen a lot, but you know the the people of God, the Black Road Regiment. I mean, where have they been? They've been face diapering up as hard as anybody. They're terrified. There's a lack of transcendence over there in oh. the Vatican. Is what I hear you saying, right? Dear God. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, I would want to have dinner with Edward Snowden because there's this. That's an intriguing choice. I don't know if I want to call it a huge debate, but there's been a debate going on on certain segments of Twitter about whether or not Donald Trump should pardon him before Trump leaves office. I've I've just kind of punted. (laughs) I've kind of punted on uh I'm trying to figure out the truth of who Edward Snowden is so you want to or find what out his motivations. And I want, to, yeah. I want to find out for myself because on the one hand, all the people who tell me he's a traitor and guilty and, a, and an enemy of America are the same people or at least belong to the same circles of people who uh, brought you the uh, Peter Strzok's, Lisa Page's, and uh, Deep State's uh, Russian collusion witch hunt of the world. Well, at the same time, I find it very, very curious that Snowden just happened to end up in Moscow, of all places. Yeah. Um, so I just I don't know what to make of him. And I think that maybe sitting down and talking to him might might actually be illuminating. So that's, guys, that's my spirit. Those were both very good choices. I'm conflicted on the Snowden thing. I appreciate him blowing the whistle. He yeah, doesn't work for the exactly. government. He works for us. I'm very suspicious, though, of a guy that finds a safe harbor with Vladimir Putin for the last four <laughs> years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and what does one have to do in order to acquire a safe harbor with Vladimir Putin? And then what does one have to do in order to maintain said safe harbor with Vladimir Putin? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the part that I'm a little, that 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 is why I do not go full throat where he is concerned. Um, hey, if you want to get into the real estate market during these unprecedented times. Bing. Wow, two uh, for today. Yeah, I got two of them today. Uh, make sure you go in with a real estate agent you can trust. Now, you may ask, where would I find said person? Because it's not like there's a website called Real Estate Agents You Can't Trust, right? It's not like you log on to somebody's, uh, the agent that you're looking at and right, says they're right on the website. I'm having personal problems right now, so I'm totally unreliable. Does it say that usually? Probably mm. no. Mm. Does it say, "Hey, if I can't sell your home like in a month or so, I'm going to be pressed for cash and probably just go to mm. a home that I think has a chance to move"? Mm. Probably not. Okay, so that's why you want to go to the website that is called Real Estate Agents uh, I Trust.com that you actually can trust. Okay, uh, Real Estate Agents I Trust.com is a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates who also were tired of real real estate agents who talked a good game, but then when the results were needed the most, uh, didn't deliver. And so they put this service together, fully vetted agents all over America whose track record of success has been proven and vetted. That's why you want to find your agent, no matter where you live, at realestateagentsitrust.com. Name kind of says it all, realestateagentsitrust.com. We are going to have a mass coal update coming up today in the overtime at blazetv.com slash dace. That's blazetv.com slash dace. You like that one, didn't you? Yeah, I I could tell you like that one. You like it. You want more of it, right? Okay. Uh, For the rest of you that aren't going to be sticking around for that, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.